I knew I needed no email. I knew I needed no one to call me. Like I needed to be totally cut off from the world. And it was the best. I had so many epiphanies and realizations. I realized everyone is just trying so hard for this goal, right? That everyone's goal is different, but for what? You know, like there's no race. You don't have to get to where this person is or that person is. You know, you're forever comparing yourself. You don't even know you're doing it. Like I'm not, I'm very comfortable with who I am and where I am. I think I'm fucking great and what I've achieved is fucking great, but you still want, you want more in every aspect of your life. You don't need more, pair it back and just take it slow and be present. And that was what I learned. I was like, that person is not going to drop dead because I didn't tattoo her eyebrows that week. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. My next guest is The Realist, and I've been eagerly awaiting this episode's release. Kristen Fisher is one of Sydney's most successful eyebrow entrepreneurs, but it's her journey to opening her luxurious double bass salon that makes her story so rich and inspiring. Born and raised in Broome, she found early success as a Brazilian waxer. At the height of her waxing business's success, she was tending to the nether regions of over 100 women a week. She then set her sights on Sydney and eventually our eyebrows. This honest conversation doesn't disappoint. She's as funny and as real as you know her to be on Instagram, unguarded and honest about the realities of running a beauty business, raising a young family, living with anxiety, and all that comes along with taking big risks. In her words, you have to risk it to get the biscuit. I hope you adore our chat. Here's the supremely authentic and hilarious Kristen Fisher and I for Offline. So here we are. Hi. Hi. I was just saying to you, I had so many people request to have you on and I was like, I've already booked it. I'm already onto this. So <laughs> I'm way ahead of you guys. <laughs> I feel like we're going to make a lot of people happy. <laughs> I've been so excited. Every time I think about you, I don't know if you're going to remember this. Mm. Do you remember when we went to that amazing dinner? Yes. Yes. And you and Zoe Marshall had the whole table crying with laughter. I think it was about her body slide technique. <laughs> Oh my God, I love her. That night we went a little bit rogue, didn't we? It was like a Wednesday night. We did go a bit rogue. And I think the other thing was it was such an outstanding event event that we all couldn't believe what was happening. So we just hit the champagne. It's the best event I've ever been to. No, it was the cocktails kept coming and 
And then we got those Teslas home. That was so fun. That was a good event. I know. That's when I'm like, listen to our privilege. And then, but what was beautiful about it was they gifted us a pair of designer heels because yep. it was all about empowering powerful women in business. And I just thought it was um, such a great concept. But I just remember like there was about 20 of us and the whole table was in hysterics because <laughs> you two were just... <laughs> Explain I don't even know what slide. the body slide technique was. No, I know. Oh, I remember what it was. Okay, I remember. Should we go there? Well, I feel like we can't. Like, <laughs> Can I brought it up now. Okay, so. Zoe won't mind, I don't Zoe think. won't care. No, Zoe's all across it. So she basically was telling me to oil my body up. <laughs> <laughs> And slide up and down my husband. I said, I said, sorry, what about my sheets? She's like, no, you just you just lay the towels down. I was like, well, that's really sexy. She was, did, did we get given oil or something? I mean, I can't remember. But, yeah, she was teaching us all, everyone at the table, how to have a really sexy time with your husband by lathering <laughs> yourself up in oil. Hi, Zoe, if you're listening. Thanks for the hot tip. <laughs> oh, God. That's what I love about her. Then she texted me two days later and said, how did it go? <laughs> It actually worked a treat, let me tell you. I should give it a go. But that's what I love about her is she's just like that great woman who's just like, here's how it's going to go. Yeah, she doesn't care. Poor Benji. I love it. <laughs> but anytime I think about you, I for some reason I just think about that dinner and we're all just like Yeah, me sliding up and down my husband hysterical. covered in oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Listen, let me give you another lasting memory after today, okay? Well, Well, let's kick into my actual questions now that we've got the body slide out of the way. Yep. I always like to start at the beginning. And one of the things I'm interested in exploring is how our upbringings shape the women we are today, I guess, and the way we run our businesses Mm -hmm. and raise our families. So you grew up in Broome. Yep. Long way away. Long way away. I don't know if that's common knowledge or not, but I wondered if you could share with us a bit about your childhood. What was it like? I had a great childhood, uh, probably very different to many people around here, which just because we grew up in the country, we'd go camping all the time. So Broome's pretty remote. I don't know if anyone's ever been there or heard of it, but it's very, very remote. The town had a population of about, I think, 12,000 people. But as a child, I mean, it was massive to me. And I always had a big personality. That was always evident from the get-go. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> no surprises there. I'm one of four kids, so we always had a really busy, fun, as I said, fun childhood. But the weekends we'd spend going out and go boogie boarding down the drains and just stuff like this that you could never even, like, I look at my kids now, we could, they can't even go out the front of the house without us being there with them. So that was yes. pretty amazing. Um, then we went to boarding school in Perth. So all of us went to boarding school at the age of 13, which was, that was probably one of the major shaping moments. That's what it's called. Were you excited about boarding school? I loved or was it. that one of those things? That, loved it. Ah. It was kind of, I was sent there to be punished because I was a really naughty, I got really naughty around the age of 12. I decided to rebel against oh, my I parents. Can imagine. Yeah. And so my parents were like, that's it, she's going to boarding school. And so my sister, who'd done year eight, nine, and 10 at the local high school, was sent to accompany me. And she did not find it as. I just thought it was this new experience. I had so much fun. I walked in there. I owned the show. I had all these friends. It was fantastic. Uh, she didn't have that same experience. But, you know, at the end of the day, she probably got a lot more out of that had she stayed at the local high school. No offence to country town high schools at all, but for us it was just probably it's a really good opportunity for us. And when I was at boarding school, I, that was when I decided not to do my 
it's called a TEA in WA, but here it's called HSE. I decided not to do that. And my mum was a, a hairdresser by trade. And I decided to go down the beauty path, which I started, I finished year 12. I did work experience in beauty. And I remember at the time, a lot of my friends were studying, you know, they were going to university and they were going to do whatever they were going to do. But I knew in my heart of hearts and I, beauty was always my thing. And so I take tweezers to my, to school in my dress pocket and tweeze everyone's legs, arms, everything. (laughs) So it was in me from a young age and I was always doing makeup and I went through a phase of cutting people's hair, which was absolutely terrible. Like people had pineapple fringes for, you know, about six months of the year. (laughs) But I kind of think that I was always interested in my mum being in, in hairdressing. It was always in me. So how that came from boogie boarding down the drains in Peru <laughs> to doing beauty, I don't know, but we had a pretty good free upbringing. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like when you're someone who's known what you want to do forever, mm-hmm. it's a very different existence to people who get to their late 20s and early 30s and are still like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Do you feel like there's been a sort of ease of knowing. Yeah, I knew from the get-go. And I remember people people making comments when I left boarding school and I went to beauty school. So I finished year 12 and went to beauty school, like a college for six months. And I remember people making comments going, oh, you know, your parents have sent you to this great school and you've, you haven't done your, your TA and, you, and I was like, who cares? Like my parents believe in me. And they did, probably because my mum being a hairdresser, they just said, that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. And... No offence to a lot of my friends who probably did go and study at university. I think I've come out on top. (laughs) So for me, it's not all about going and spending four years slaving away just because it's the right thing to do. I have zero regrets. My parents have zero regrets. Well, I guess it's also that thing, there's this assumption that societally that beauty is, I don't know, not on the same level as if you Mm. wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. So that's just a construct in itself that for whatever reason, it's, I don't know, what is it like ditzy or easy? Listen, I am saving lives one eyebrow at a time and I have no (laughs) doubt about that. (laughs) Um, No, I fully agree with you. It's kind of looked down as like, but I mean, this is what I say to people that I get asked every single day, my inbox goes off. It's girls asking for like inspiration. Like they're asking, how did you get to where you are? And like, you know, all I can say is I was a people pleaser from the get go. And I, that's what I like to do. And you have to believe in yourself. Forget about the outside noise. If you love what you do and you love your craft, you will succeed at it. And I think that's what I was just determined. And I knew that what mm-hmm. I was doing wasn't, I mean, I did fall into it at the, at the right time, I must admit. I fell into eyebrows when, just before eyebrows got big. I think it was a bit of right place, right time. But at the same time, I knew that my personality would have carried me through. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about friendships before we get into business? Mm -hmm. You made some of your closest friends at boarding school. Yeah. I wondered if you can like reflect on that time and like what did that time teach you about friendships and I guess in particular female friendships? So other people that are probably listening that would have went to boarding school would understand that when you go to boarding school, your friends become your family because we live together 24-7 and that was probably the best experience of my life. And I can hand on heart say that because there are people from every, all different walks of life. Like WA is a huge state from all over WA, from many different family backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from everywhere. It taught me to be very inclusive of everyone. There was no set groups. Like, you know, when you go to school, there's all these different groups. We didn't have that. We were all a family. I think that's how I got to where I am because, as I said, it was a very inclusive environment. 
there was Indonesian princesses in our boarding school, but then there were like, you know, people from really low socioeconomic communities in WA, and, but we we're all one family. So I, I learned a lot about, I mean, how you treat people is ultimately how, I don't know what to say about that, but you know. Like, well, I guess it's a reflection of your reflection um, of, character. Yeah. And I remember people have asked me like, I used to get invited to all, every single birthday party when I was at primary school in Broome from every different group. That's because I included everyone. And mm. the one thing I've learned about being here in this business and having different salons along the way is people have always said to me, you make everyone feel like a celebrity when they come in, every different client. Clients love that, like, you make us all feel special. But that, they are all special. There's mm. no difference between, like, Jenny from down the road and that. a celebrity. Yeah. And this is the thing is I think having that more, I don't know, is it remote or rural upbringing? There's some humility in it, I think. Yeah, like, definitely. And there's this surprising factor like people, and I get this as well, people go, oh, you're so nice. It's like, Thanks. wow, like what did you expect? <laughs> but then but then I do have friends that I've like met since I moved to Sydney and I do notice the difference in the way we treat people actually in restaurants, especially people in service. There seems to be a real difference in how we see people. So it's interesting. So I love that you kind of take the piss out of yourself. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. Um, I think it's really refreshing and I know it's what a lot of women love about you. How do you stay so connected to the essence of who you are, even through this sort of journey of, you know, establishing such a successful and I guess quite high-end Mm. business in a way but then like yeah. you meet you and you're like oh my god it's you I'm, I'm it has that kind of really <laughs> glossy outside but um but so how do you stay true to you there's no way that I couldn't stay true to me it's not in me I couldn't pretend to, I'm never a pretender I'm not a faker yes I've created this la-di-da beautiful salon that everyone probably would have if they don't meet me they have no idea well they kind of do because they can read who I am via socials but until they actually meet me that's when they get to know like holy shit she's completely normal doesn't take herself too seriously yes I've created this beautiful brand but I feel like the fact that I am who I am with this pet with this beautiful high-end brand is very relaxing for a lot of people and they come here and they're relaxed knowing that it's basically chalk and cheese made with this beautiful mm-hmm. high-end brand <laughs> and obviously we all know I love a selfie I'm not opposed to that if I feel if I'm feeling myself I'll take a photo and you know not deny that I'm feeling myself but <laughs> I'll also take the piss out of it you know so I think people love that and like to answer your question there's no way it couldn't be anyone bar me yeah I mean you can have luxury but you can also be affordable and attainable at the same time you opened your first beauty salon at 19 which um, when I think about that, I'm like, you're such a baby. What did that early experience teach you about running a business? Like was there any big fuck-ups in that time or was there a big learning that kind of set you up for the businesses to come? Okay, so I left boarding school, like I said, went to beauty school, then worked for 12 months and then my parents moved from Broome to Perth and my mum bought a hair salon and inside the hair salon was a beauty salon. So it was kind of like an easy move for me. It was like um, a concession. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I started. And then six months later, I outgrew that little space and moved down the road. So I kind of had my dad who's always been in small business. He's always helped me. So he ran my business for me. I just was just this, I used to wax Brazilian. So I had a, a Brazilian and body waxing salon back then when I was 19. I sold that when I was 24 before I moved to Sydney. But so in that five years, 
I guess I had my dad trying desperately to teach me because I was just, I was making so much money. For someone of that age, it was pretty yeah. astronomical how much money I was making. And I had absolutely no value of money. I would spend it all. I would just go shopping and buy anything I felt like. And it was probably the most rogue anyone could have ever been. It's like, you know, like a young footballer when they get this huge salary. Yeah. They don't know what to do with it. Like that was kind of me in a way. I had no expenses. I was living at home. And so then I sold the business and moved to Sydney and that's when shit hit the fan because Sydney is obviously very expensive to live in and I got kicked right back down. In terms of your spending right habits. <laughs> well, then I started making 600 bucks a week and I had 300 bucks a week in rent, you know. So, like, yeah. that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I'd been so high and then I got dropped right back down, which was fantastic. But, yeah, so my dad at that time was retired. He sold the business in Broome and they were living in Perth. And he, I mean, I was just his little hobby working. He'd work on my business while he did all the books and everything. So I didn't really learn a lot then because I just went out, was out partying. I was having fun. And he kept asking me every week, just sit with me for a couple of hours a week and I'll try and teach you how to run a business. I did not want to borrow it. That was regret number one. Sold that business, (laughs) (laughs) moved to Sydney with that cash, had a great summer, spent that money, spent all of that money. I think in about three months. (laughs) God, I had a great summer. I was sitting with Blake Campbell at the time. She'll remember it quite well. <laughs> we I want to ask shopping. you about her, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just go shopping and like, oh, God, I don't know what we do with that money, but whatever. And then I went to work in Sydney when I finally ran out of money and that's when I was earning $600 a week. And that was where I think I probably started learning a lot of life lessons. So the big lesson was the, yeah, the cash the in cash. terms of like holding on to. Yeah, I didn't have any value of money. It wasn't, it was really bad. And I, I don't know why because my parents are baby boomers. Like they would not spend money had they not had it. Like they didn't live on credit cards. I don't know. I was just kind of broke the mould in that sense. But then, yeah, what was your question again? Well, actually, I want to talk about Lee now. Yeah, let's go there. She was on my list of things to ask you about. So after you sold the business and moved when you were 24, you met Lee soon after. Yeah. I know I speak for a lot of women who follow you both and, of course, know you both. I really love your friendship. Yeah, she's beautiful. And, yeah, just like it's actually really beautiful to watch on. Tell us how you met and then I'd also just love to know, like, how do you talk about her and how do you describe her, like, for someone who knows her so well? So... When I moved to Sydney when I was 24, I had met a boy and the boy was best friends with her boyfriend. So we, I moved to Sydney, we moved in together, all four of us. Six months later, we broke up with these boys. I think it was around that time or maybe it was a year, I can't remember. It wasn't Did very you break long. up at the same time? Yeah, it wasn't far apart. <laughs> we kind of did everything together. Like, let's ditch him. <laughs> uh, we don't need them. Um, so then we moved in together, naturally. Oh, sorry, maybe. So that was probably when I had, that's when I moved here officially. I was coming back and forth for about a year. And that was when I moved in with her and we had that great summer, which I'll never forget. So we were like thick as these. We did absolutely everything together. Then obviously we both met out. Well, I met Chris. I moved in with Chris. She, we all, you know, life moves on. So I've been friends with Lee since I moved here and she's the reason I am where I am today. And I can hand on heart say that. First of all, she got me that first job I had in Sydney where I was getting paid 600 bucks a week. And I remember she would like, she'd say to me, we can't afford avocado this week. And I was like, I just want an avocado. She's like, you can't, we can't have one. We had, we had shared money. We were like a full on couple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she ran the finances. I'd cook. I was the cook and the cleaner. Oh God. Um, she'd make me sit on her bed once a week so she could clean her room. She was so messy back then. She'll, she'll hate me saying this, but she was really, really messy back then. <laughs> 
<laughs> come a long way. Um, so then, yeah, so she's probably the, the reason that I am where I am today, really. So she, start, she got me into a brow job with Benefit, and that was yeah. a really great job for me. Then after that, too, the, she got me into another job called the Brow Bar with a company called the Brow Bar. And from there, I set up KFA, where she's been, obviously, one of the biggest advocates from day one. So we speak probably nearly, actually nearly every day. I was on FaceTime to her husband last night. Um, but yeah, she's a pretty amazing person. She's very supportive. She is also exactly what you say. She's what you say is what you get. Agree. In the best way. Yeah, in the best way. In the best way. There's like a lot of people that aren't. But yeah, she really is. She's no holds barred. She says what she's feeling and she's not afraid of, of backlash if what she feels isn't mm. what is obviously kosher at the time. Yeah. I'm so thankful you shared that because I guess I've just like observed your friendship from afar like I think a lot of other women have and it Mm -hmm. seems special so you can kind of, you can tell why. You mentioned what you were first doing was waxing vaginas. (laughs) Yes. The beaver waxer, they call me. (laughs) The beaver waxer. The beaver waxer Um, from the south, that's what he used to call me. (laughs) (laughs) Um. This is a legitimate question. Mm -hmm. I guess I was thinking about it and so you're like strictly above the neck these days, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've worked my way up the body all the way at the top. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to talk about that kind of sacred space that waxes hold for Mm -hmm. women and their clients. Like there's a lot of vulnerability in the room when you're, you know, there and you're naked and your legs are spread and someone's seeing legs in the air. Talk to us about that. Like, how did you hold that space? Because I guess there's a level of having to make people feel really comfortable. Very good question because I've not, never actually really thought about this in too much detail, but this is actually probably another pivotal moment in my career and, you know, creating how I am and how I interact with people because I had to literally be there in front of women, completely nude, legs in the air, and ignore the fact that they had their legs in the air and their vaginas were in my face. I had to completely ignore all of that, put them at ease and have a normal conversation with them. And that is probably where my, my confidence came from making people from any single, anyone feel comfortable. Because obviously it's, it is quite nerve-wracking having your legs in all different mm-hmm. positions. Back then you've got to go on all fours. So there's not just legs in the air, there's on all fours as well. For those hard-to-reach places. And I would make people <laughs> feel so comfortable. And I would do... I was going to do like 100 a week. It was insane. I was just whacking them in and out, these Brazilians, and off, yeah. Off I'd go and spend all the money, week in, week out. (laughs) (laughs) If only. All of those for JJs. Oh, so many for JJs. I know. So there's nothing you haven't seen. I've seen it all, babe. Yeah. There's nothing can shock me anymore. Offline exists to reveal life on the other side of the filter. And so I was curious to know the reality of Kristen's day, running a business and raising a young family. We recorded this episode while in lockdown, so I asked for the pre-lockdown version of a typical day. Pre-lockdown, I probably had, I was probably on another planet to be honest. Pre-lockdown, I went to Eden Health Retreat and it was probably the best thing I've ever done for myself because it was tapping out of everything which I needed to do but I didn't realize how under the pump I was until I went and tapped out for a week and I went holy shit this is not how it's supposed to be so pre-eating I wouldn't have time to exercise I ate really poorly I wasn't sleeping very well I'd sleep from probably 12 till 7 so midnight till 7 get up you know my husband would do all the lunches with the kids I'd get up take one kid to school and start the day 
and then it would be this vicious cycle. Post Eden, obviously, I had all these grand plans to change my life, and then Corona decided to do it for me. But yeah, pre health retreat, it was probably I was in a bad, I was in a really bad vicious cycle. I wasn't sleeping well, I wasn't eating well. I think most small business owners can relate. It's not uncommon, especially when you've got young children. Mm. I had kids that weren't sleeping very well either. And we've got no, like, we've got no family help and no nanny. It's all us. I've got a cleaner, thank God. But other than that, the kids are our sole responsibility 24 7. So that's a job in itself. So running a business, up until late last year, I didn't even have a management team. I had 14 staff, no HR, no GM, no PA, no nothing. Oh, God, so you're doing all of it. Yeah. So then I, then I essentially burnt out, which is fine. I knew that was coming. Then I hired the right team, which I didn't think I could afford until you have the right team. And then you're like, holy shit, I'd do anything. <laughs> <laughs> to be able yeah. to afford these people, I won't let them go. So that's what happened. And I mean, my day in the life was just Groundhog Day every day. But get up, feeling groggy because I hadn't slept enough, eat a bad breakfast, take a kid to school, go to work, manage everyone's everything, do all these clients, pick a kid up from school, go home, make dinner, fight them to get to bed for three hours. And then I'd start my work at about 10 p.m. So I'd wow. work from 10 till 12. But you know, like there are changes that could have been made and it's only since being away and having that wake off that I realised I could make them. I was just making excuses. So I now know how I'm going to tackle everything head on when the world reopens. Yeah. But, yeah, my, it wasn't healthy how I was operating before. Now I'm definitely mm. going to make sure exercise is in my routine. And the other thing is I remember someone saying to me it's really hard to work on a business and in a business and it really is. Like I was doing full days of clients trying to run a business, trying to run a home, trying to manage 14 staff and do all of this without, you know, I was like treading water the whole time. So now I'm, I'm ready. Why do you think, because that's like mirrors my story, but minus the kids, I can't imagine putting kids into my equation <laughs> before I left Allure. Why do you think we subscribe to that? Like what is it about our, is it our desire to like prove mm. ourselves mm -hmm. it's a or lot that we don't want to be seen to be wanting help? So when I was away on this week, and I, I won't keep going back to it, but it was the best thing that's ever happened to me, I'm not going to lie. I had no, a lot I'm of, glad you're bringing it up because yeah. I think I recommend that to so many women yeah. to like go and invest in a retreat or something because a lot yeah. of people roll their eyes. But A lot of my friends rolled their eyes like big time. They're like, yeah. you're going to hate it. You're going to find it boring. I was like, none of you are in my head and none of you have any idea what I'm going through. And I knew mm. exactly that's what I needed. I knew I needed no email. I knew I needed no one to call me. Like I needed to be totally cut off from the world and it was the best. I had so many epiphanies and realisations. I realised everyone is just trying so hard for this goal, right? That God knows who's, everyone's goal is different, but for what? You know, like yeah. there's no race. You know, you don't have to get to where this person is or that person is. You know, you're forever comparing yourself and you don't even know you're doing it. Like I'm not, I'm very comfortable with who I am or where I am. I think I'm fucking great and what I've achieved is fucking great, but you still want, you want more in every aspect of your life. You don't need more. Pair it back and just take it slow yeah. and be present. And that was what I learned. I was like, that person is not going to drop dead because I didn't tattoo her eyebrows that week. I need to exercise yeah. in the morning and that is for me and for my mental state. So I'm going to do my life and not work for everyone else, no offence, because I love my clients, but you, you just have to set boundaries. And that is what I'm going to be doing when we reopen, as opposed to flogging myself all day. I'm going to have really good structured days where there's time for me every single day. And it's after I drop the kids off, there is my time. It's not going from kids to clients, mm -hmm. back to kids to home. Da, 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 da. 
Yeah. And I think that a lot of people have to learn that. And I know it sounds really hard because you think, oh, but I have to do this. No, you don't have to do that. The world is not going to end. Look, no, none, of us, I, none of us are making a cent right now and we're here. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, I know it's hard. Well, let's talk about this time. It's obviously a time of mass vulnerability. A lot of businesses are suffering. How has, I guess you had the retreat, but then on the back of that, this, how has this space and silence given you, how are you thinking more deeply about, I'm thinking like the shape of your business, the shape of your revenue, like has it given you a lot of space to go, like to zoom out? Financially, like obviously we've had a huge hit, you know, 100% of the business has dropped, 100%. Wow. <laughs> Again, that hasn't bothered me. It hasn't worried me. I'm not scared. I'm not frightened. It is what it is. Everyone's in the same boat. I know that we're going to come back from this. I know it's not going to be a quick fix. It's going to be a slow burn. But financially, yeah, it's been pretty hard. But at the end of the day, and I don't want to sound, you know, speak out of turn here, but this is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Irrespective of the way we move into silence, whether we choose to like Kristen did or through painful events like COVID-19, we are forced into it. What I know for sure is if we're privileged enough to use the silence to think about our own well-being, it's in the nothingness that we begin to truly hear. And that's the journey self-study students go on in my first course. Make contact with your true self, align to your purpose, and redefine your success. I share what happens when we start to explore our internal landscapes, and how that impacts not only what we choose to do for a living, but how we define success for ourselves. If you need help developing a relationship with what it means to be still, visit getoffline.co forward slash study. I think it's the pause that everyone needed. And and my staff all walked away with that. They all were all totally understanding. They've all wanted to help in any way they can. But I said, there's nothing anyone can do right now. Let's just all take a pause. We'll all come back from this. And I think everyone's going to reassess as well what they find. I don't know, like, I mean, I can't even go. Like, some people ring and abuse their front desk staff because they couldn't get in to get their brows on a, on a particular day or a particular time, right? Like, this also has to stop, you know? Like, everyone's so entitled. Yeah. And I just think this has just been a time for every single person from every walk of life is in the same position right now. Oh, it's the ultimate equaliser. 100%. I mean, listen, we're not, we're not isolating in um, Courtney Kardashian's mansion or anything like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think there's, um, you know, isolating is a privilege in itself. The fact that we have enough space to be two metres away from each other is privilege, I think. Um, yeah. But, no, I mean, thank you for sharing your views on it. And, you know, maybe now we could talk a little bit about from the business side investment and risk. Yeah. <laughs> So when you opened the new salon, you know, from the outside, I'm like, fuck, she's doing so well. Like Mm -hmm. that place looks bloody amazing. Mm -hmm. How did you think about the risk attached to that level of investment? And I guess, were you scared? Was there any fear for you or you just went in guns blazing? I went in guns blazing and then I had a full-blown nervous breakdown. Like I'm talking, legitimate nervous breakdown in front of a client. To the point where, yeah, it was an out-of-body experience. I never thought anxiety was a thing until this moment. And now I take Lexapro, which I'm so open about talking about. I'm really fine with that. And that kind of calmed me down. And I realized, listen, I'm here now. I've I've gone and done this. I've put everything on the line. 
It was exciting. I'm kind of one of those people, risk it to get the biscuit. And if you don't take any risks, you won't succeed. That's how I operate. So the Lexapro just helped me manage all of that and I couldn't change anything. So I was here. I was in it right at the very end of about to open and I had accumulated a lot of debt. But now I look at it and I think this is fantastic what I've done. Like I've never, ever in my entire career, 10 years of operating, never have I paid for marketing or PR or anything like that. So this kind of, this space does that for me. It gets Instagram 20 times a day. Like it's just, it's been, it's done what it needed to do, this space. But so there was a lot of risk. It's, you know, running a beauty business, it's not as all it's cracked up to be. There's tight margins. It's like a service-based model. There's only enough X amount of hours in a day that staff can work. It's not like this 24-hour shop that's operating online. But I knew what the figures were. I knew I could do it. I knew they were going to be hard to reach, but I was determined. Have you exceeded your expectations? Of course I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, girl. <laughs> but it's, it's, still, it's still not hard. It's still not easy, sorry. Like I've got a lot of staff and I look after my staff. I've got really high rents. And we've got to keep evolving, which is exciting as well. It's not, it's not an easy sell. It's not like I've got, I walk in and I go, oh, here's another easy week. Every single week. I feel like I'm on the block every week. It's always just something. <laughs> like, something goes wrong at the 11th hour. But, um, yeah, no, it's been really exciting the last 18 months. I've actually really enjoyed learning the business side more as opposed to doing just being in and doing browsers. It's been really exciting having to hit, reach goals and hit targets and, and push the boundaries a bit, which I um, never really understood because, as I said, I fell into business organically. So now I'm learning more about business, which has been really exciting. And I've got a lot more, got a long way to go, but I've got a lot more to come, which is also really exciting. Are you thinking about like more salons? Is that like. If I told on you, I'm going to kill you. I can't tell you. Okay. <laughs> I want to live. I want to live. You'll be Don't the first now, I promise, babe. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the intersection of influence and business mm-hmm. and like, I guess, how you balance that? Because I guess, let's say you started as this businesswoman, right? Where mm-hmm. you're kind of more of a behind the scenes person. Yeah. And then through the success of your business, you become talent in a way. How do you think about that? Like, do you think about that a lot? Not in really. In terms of what you as a person should and shouldn't be doing or not? Yes. Oh, well, only because I've got this team now behind me that are like minders I've got 24 hour minders now <laughs> and sometimes they'll go take that down don't post that and I'm like no I'm leaving it up there you sh- I'll show you what my people like <laughs> but it's true like I understand I, I've got a lot of friends who are influencers and they, that's how they make a living and they're really quite cautious I will never be that cautious because I am who I am I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm never going to deny who I am Sometimes, yes, I'm a little bit rogue and that's completely fine. But I, this is me. I'm, I'm wild. I'm fun. I like to have a good time. I'm not the only person. I think that's part of what makes your business and brand successful is people, we feel that authenticity from you. So like mm-hmm. if you ever got to a point where you started censoring yourself, like that would suck. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to censor myself at all. Let's talk about leading. Mm-hmm. Leading. Um, how do you, yeah. <laughs> well, this is a journey we all go on, yep. isn't it? I mean, my first few years as a leader, I was an absolute shit show. And I do talk about this a lot publicly because, you know, I found that towards the end of my role at Allure, I was starting to get, you know, gratefully very celebrated mm-hmm. for my leadership. Yeah. But I always say there'd be at least... I don't know, 10 to 15 women who I led in the beginning who would not agree with that, who didn't get the good me because I was still 
learning. And I feel yeah. like, you know, some of them definitely have like voodoo dolls that they stick pins into every night with the name Alison. <laughs> Who are they? Let me add them back. It's truth. It's truth. I mean, I wasn't, you know, inspiring back then. I was just hanging on every day and I was fucking up a lot. So um, how do you show up as a leader now? And I guess, you know, can we talk about what have you learned about leadership? And then do you even like it? Because I think it's okay to say if you don't. I wouldn't have called myself a leader. I'm not going to lie. But um, all right. So I think probably because I'm very honest and raw, I'm still learning to be controlled, mm. which is a really hard thing for me. I will always be me, but there has to be a professional side to me. Um, I'm very vulnerable. And that's pretty obvious, um, which I have to keep balancing all of this. As the business is growing and we're going into new phases of the business, it's really hard. I do have to keep that element of me which everyone has always loved and I'm not going to deny that but also still keep my business hat on which is what um, the next phase in my business needs to be honest I'm forever evolving though and as I said I've hired this amazing team which has really helped me get to and this has been a four month we've all been together for four months like this team that I've got I've got Michelle Singh who's just basically my god love her and then yeah and then I've got Michael Gould who was trained by Elise Tran and and he's a bloody Gun. Oh, machine. Machine, yep. He would be a machine. He run, no, he's a machine. He's a, he runs my life to a T. Like I can't even tell you the thing. that There is nothing out of bounds for that guy. <laughs> I um, love that. But then I've got Michelle who obviously keeps me in line and, and she's, she's also learning to let me be me, which I think is also like I'm helping her in that because she would, she would never have in her wildest dreams let me get away with the things that I have done in the last few months. But now she's <laughs> understanding that people like that and we're moving toward yeah. a future that people don't want this curated, like, you know, cautious bullshit. They want to hear the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, preach that. Preach this. Too. But, yeah, I'm never going to lose my personality. I'm always going to be topical. I'll always be full of energy. I'll always be the spark in the room. But I'm also balancing self-promotion and actually still being myself. So... It's a hard one because we've we've kind of monitored how my Instagram page goes, and obviously the most traction I'll get is often on things that are about me as opposed to eyebrows. But like I've said to her at the end of the day, everyone knows we do great eyebrows, great eyebrows. Like that's it, we do great eyebrows. You don't want to see bloody eyebrow after eyebrow after eyebrow on my Instagram. That'd be boring. We get it. You do good eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. You know, we want more. <laughs> yeah. But being a leader, I mean, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like obviously, as I said, having these 14 girls and now Mikey working for me, um, I've been a leader for them, some of them for a long time. They've been there for six and seven years and I've grown up in that time. We've all kind of grown up together, but it came up to a point last year where I realised they were coming to me for things that I couldn't actually answer because I was so under the pump. And as I said, going on this journey to Eden has just been the best thing I ever did because it just made me stronger and it made me come out of there and go, right, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of like the fact that maybe I could be a bit of a leader. I definitely think you are. And it's like giving ourselves permission yep. to um, grow into that role. Like we grow into our role, I'm sure you find as a mother, yep. you know, and you grow into friendships and relationships. Like I think about my marriage, like I've been with him for 10 years and married for six. Like I feel like we've hit a new high, you know. It's great. It takes a long time. I love that. I actually don't have any questions about your marriage. Do you want to talk about that or not? I've got a wonderful husband. I mean, he is just, he's got the patience of a saint. And I think a lot of men in this day and age would find it hard to have their wife in the position that I'm in. But he's taken it all in his stride. He's very proud. He's very comfortable with who he is and where and how our 
dynamic is, how our dynamic, dynamic works. And I've had people say to me in the past, I don't know how your husband, I couldn't do that. I couldn't have my wife being, you know, the breadwinner and being the you. Well, he's like, why wouldn't you? It's 2020. Like, get real. Oh, and a lot, God, a lot of men could be that? like that. So he's really, he does the school lunches. He does, but listen, he's got a great business in his own rights. But if he could do eyebrows, I'm telling you right now, he'd be the one doing He'd be the one doing well. <laughs> he can't, so nobody go and get your brows done by him. He does keep saying to me he's going he's to open, open up a competition business called the Bro Bar, <laughs> <laughs> which I will shut that shit down no, if he does. That's what Tony says to me. He's like, I'm going to start online. I'm like, oh, gosh. No, babe. Yeah, I could say I'll start up F44, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd way rather do 44 minutes of training than 45. <laughs> Thank you. I might have been 40. Really cut him under. Yeah, but he's great. Oh, that's funny. He's fantastic. Mm, they're good men, aren't they? Yeah, we have good, um, good men. Can you talk to us a little bit about up-leveling? I think one of the things I've found quite inspiring about you is there's a real humility to the way you've succeeded because mm-hmm. you're always doing different courses and mm-hmm. training. Like how do you think about that? Is that like are you always looking for new ways to upskill? Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. You've got to keep up. I mean, listen, I'm not saying I'm a brain surgeon or anything, but I'm doing cosmetic treatments to the face and things evolve so fast in the beauty industry. You have to be up to that. You have to stay current. And I have no problem spending money and traveling all over the world to do these courses because that's where the best, do you know where the best courses are, which I still haven't been there yet because I'm a little bit frightened, I'm not going to lie, is Russia. They're in Russia. Mm. Just don't know if it's the right time to be going to Russia. Well, not now, certainly. (laughs) Definitely not right now. But, yeah, I'm forever training. Um, Listen, I've always been naturally ambitious. But, again, I've kind of had to put a lid on that recently because I've gone, you can't, like, my kids are little for such a short period of time. And I have always, which is pretty unusual in female entrepreneurs, like, I've always been a mother first. Um, That comes first and foremost, which is hard when you're growing a business. But my kids have always been my number one. And... We don't have any family in Sydney at all. We've got no nannies. We've got nothing. But And juggling the two has been a little bit tricky. Uh, but I've got a great network. The reality is, is wealth and funding a business has been at times been really challenging. So I've, I think people think that I've come from this background of privilege, which I haven't at all. I've had a really great mm. upbringing. I came from a really middle-class family. My parents did, did well. But this is all self-made, which has been really hard. But That's what I love about your story, though, is like, do you show other women? <laughs> I think back and I think, has it been hard? Like it kind of just all happened. It kept evolving and happened organically. So I look back and go, fuck, that just happened. Like that just fucking happened. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that the beautiful thing is when something feels innate, like when something Mm. feels like just an expression of your soul or however you want to think about that, like what's your definition of hard? You know, you're just executing on the thing that you're here to be doing. And so there's some sort of like symphony in that, I think. I think the only time I think back and go, that was really hard was when I was breastfeeding Eddie. So Lila was one and a half and Eddie was this fucking shit of a baby who never, ever slept. He didn't sleep for two years. He slept through the night oh for the God. first time at the age of two and a half. Like it was fucked. So he was a newborn oh and I was, build, I was building the other, my new salon before this one. And I remember thinking I was rocking up to the, the site on 20 minutes sleep. Like it was just oh my God. nothing can prepare you for that. But I remember just thinking I've got to do this. Like I've got to go and oversee this. I'll go and have a look and then I'll go home. And I remember, I remember just going through those days and they were all a blur and it was just a shit show of a time. But I remember now looking back and I'm going, wow, I did that. But everything's achievable. I never thought that mm. at the age of 34 I'd have two kids and have this bullshit salon on Bay Street that I'm 
in, in debt to my eyeballs with, but I'm not scared by the debt. I'm excited by it. Got a couple more years and I'll be home and hosed. Maybe that's a good segue into my second last question. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you don't really subscribe to the juggle and I did want to talk about that because I feel like a lot of interviews with female founders or leaders, it's all about like, how do you juggle and how do you find balance? And I'm like, I don't think anyone I know that has kids, friendships, a husband, a business, I don't think anyone's got Mm. the balls in the air. Like not that I know of. I feel like things do suffer. You know, things are going to suffer along the way. And there were times where you drop away from your friendship groups. There's times when I drop away from my husband. God love him. Times when I fall away from my kids as well. If I want to decide to go and have a rogue Saturday night. But at the end of the day, every single week gets a chunk of me. All of those different elements get a big chunk of me. And that's, that's all I can give. And that's enough. You know, like my kids mm-hmm. are my number one. My staff comes second. The business comes third. Husband somewhere, he, you know, comes, he pops in and out in those <laughs> um, but yeah, my kids, my kids, listen, my family are my number one always. And the business is definitely close second. That's the staff and everyone. No one's got all the balls in the air. They'd be lying if they did. Well, that's what I think is so dangerous about social media is because there is a lot of dishonesty because people totally. are making it look a certain way. Yep. And then I look at that and I think, you know, I'm trying to have a baby. I'm trying to fall pregnant. And I think, yeah. okay, so I've got to get my fucking, you know, rust linen you know, wraps and I've got to get, do you know, like I've got to move to Byron. I've got oh, to, for God's sake. Like, get that do you know what I mean? It just wicker basket it makes it look, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like do the babies actually sleep in those or are they just no. for the photo? It's an Instagrammable pic. You should have seen, have, can I tell you quickly before what you're like, I know you want to wrap things up soon, but we had no money, which is fine. We had two babies in this apartment in Double Bay and Eddie, like I said, was a prick of a baby. He didn't sleep. He had really bad reflux. God love him, poor guy. So we had two bedrooms and we had Lila in one room and we were in another, we were in the main bedroom with Eddie. It got to the point where I was like, I'm going to move out, Chris. And Chris was like, well, you can't move out because you're breastfeeding and we've got another kid. I was like, well, I'm either going to move out or do something crazy here. So we moved, we got rid of our dining table and moved our bed to the lounge room. And Eddie was in this big master room in this ugly bassinet thing that we used to rock. Nothing was Instagrammable back then, let me tell you. Like where our bed was, people would come over to visit us and I'd be like, quick, make the bed. People are coming over because we're sitting in the lounge room. (laughs) on the bed <laughs> but um listen it is all bullshit and I'm not gonna lie I mean obviously I like, I like things looking nice on my Instagram page my Instagram stories are always real and they will always be real it's always real time Eddie doing some whack shit it's always always real and this is what I think this world needed this wake-up call right now to realize that we don't want what we think we wanted yeah we don't want perfection and that pursuit of perfection yeah. I think is making us really sick sick really sick Mm. I do want you to have a little baby, though. That's one thing we do want. Oh, I know. It's been, um, I'll tell you what, it's definitely, you know, I don't know if you identify with this, but I never thought this would be my story. It's really interesting because I always just thought when we're ready, we'll try and then we'll have one and that will be that. And so what I've been sitting in is going, oh, okay, so this is your story, Alison. So like, you know, you've been challenged and you didn't think that was going to happen, but I know it's relevant for me and that's kind of where I am. I've got a lot of peace around it. There's a relevancy Mm. to this experience. It's helping me expand and grow in ways I never Never imagined. imagined. Yeah, yeah, I have a new relationship with like grief and loss and life. And And probably your husband is because of it as well. Yeah, and and then I guess like for him and I, and I haven't really spoken about this much lately, like I didn't think we could get closer. 
Yeah. But it's in the losses that you find a deeper level of love for each other. And the richness that I have with him now, I'm like, gosh, I actually take on anything. I wouldn't take it away. Yeah. I still go through it. Yeah. I should I give you a virtual hug right now. Oh, thanks, Dals. When this is all over, I'm going to come. Gonna, it's going to it's gonna come. There is no... Of course it is. There's no doubt in my mind we're going to have a baby. It's just an interesting little ride to... Look at Alexander, Lay's baby. I mean, look at him. Oh, my God. Do you know she has been... And part of the reason I wanted to talk about her was I've just found so much you know, comfort in her story because yeah. you look at people you know and you're like, well, she survived that and they got their baby. Yeah. So, you know, beyond all the amazing work she's just done in her life, one of the biggest services she's given us is to, sh- to show us that, you know, you can get yeah. that happy ending maybe in the most unlikely way that. Yeah, of course it's going to happen. And I feel like, oh, listen, as I said, I've, we see 500 women a week. The amount of, I can't even tell you the amount of the stories I've heard. It's, it's so common. I wish people spoke about it more. And I think they are now, which is really and same thing with me being on Lexapro. I feel like people would generally hide behind a lot of things like this. And I think women need to speak more openly about miscarriage and being on anti-anxiety and all those different types of things because it's real. Yeah. And it obviously it, a lot of people relate to you, can relate to you and mm. it makes it not so taboo, which it shouldn't be taboo, any of these things. I totally agree with you. Anyway, the show goes on. So that's a story Just for having- another day, isn't it? <laughs> Just having a lot of sex, basically. And, well, that's um, great for you, babe. At least so someone's Tony's getting it because you know what? <laughs> but can we just talk briefly about this? You know what no one ever talks about when you're trying for a baby? Mm. For women, you're always walking around with a little bit of sperm coming out. Yep, always dribbling out. Yep. Always dribbling out. It's disgusting. No one talks about that. <laughs> Have you got the panty liners? I've just started them recently because yeah. I was soiling so many of my good knickers. It's the most uncomfortable feeling as well. Like walking around <laughs> like that, it's like you just have to sit at home. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad we've An gone incubate. there. Yeah. It actually really is the most uncomfortable a little bit feeling. Of sperm. Yeah. Yeah. I probably so, won't be feeling I, it for I'm a while. Like, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> my husband is very, very careful, let me tell you. Yeah, he's so there's not a third coming anytime soon. I want one, but he's just very, very careful. So I haven't had that feeling for a very long time. Well, I'm feeling it for both of us, so don't worry. Good. Yeah. Um, on that, my um, my podcast exists as an exploration of self and I ask my guests the same question mm-hmm. at the end of each episode. Yeah, it exists as this exploration of true self and who are we outside of the labels and the following and all of that shiny stuff. And you've shared a bit about it already, but when you're sitting in your true self, who are you and what comes up for you when I say that? Wow, I was not prepped on this question. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) You got me there. Um, Who am I? I'm a rat bag with a lot of love to give. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm honest, very honest, probably a little bit too honest. I'm very raw. I'm not very emotional, which I think is un- people don't really, probably wouldn't know that about me, but it takes a lot to really crack me, to make me cry. If someone gets upset around me, I'll try to rather make them laugh and console mm. them. I'm one of those kind of people. I'm very real though. I think I, I'm, I'm honest with myself and I can go to bed every night knowing that I can sleep happy knowing that I'm very honest with myself and who I am. I'm pretty wild. I don't know if you've heard of that. 
Um, I've experienced it. <laughs> Do you want a body slide, baby? Later. Body slide. But I'm fun. I'm happy. I'm positive. I don't ever get depressed, which is I'm very, very thankful for. I do get hardcore anxiety, but I'm also comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with everything. This is why I was looking forward to talking to you because I knew it was just going to be really real and you and funny and I knew I'd get a good laugh. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Good. Well, I thank you for being Fisher. on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life. This is my, welcome to my channel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.